ever make is to put your faith and trust in Christ. Salvation is a gift. Eternal life is a gift from God. God gave his son that you and I could have eternal life. If you've never received it, I pray that you will receive Christ as your personal Savior today. Open your Bibles again to Psalm 128 and put a marker there. Verse number 3. In the middle of that verse is my text this morning. I will outline the entire chapter, but I want you to notice in verse number 3, toward the end, it says, Thy children like olive plants. Thy children like olive plants. And so I uh, preached this morning on the subject of the importance of loving, reaching, teaching children, children as olive plants. Heavenly Father, I pray that you bless the preaching of your word. My, how it's been good to fellowship with your people. What a joy it is to have guests and visitors, those visiting with us for the first time and those back again. What a joy it is to sing and to hear the good singing, the reminders of wonderful Bible truths and Lord of your love. And now as we come to the preaching of your word, I pray that you would bless it in power, not only in the speaking, but in the hearing. Oh, how I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There are two psalms in a row, two connected psalms that are about family and specifically children. Psalm 127 pictures that children as a rich heritage and tells us that children are as arrows in a quiver. Notice what he says in verse number 5 of Psalm 127. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. Notice this phrase, they shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. What a, uh, what a joy it is to see children grow up to serve the Lord, to know truth and to know right. Psalm 128 then continues talking about the family and children. In fact, there are three generations that are mentioned in chapter 128. It talks about the family, the parents, and the grandparents. And they're as an olive tree or an olive plant uh, that brings long-lasting blessings or blessings into the next generation. Now, let me tell you why I chose uh, the message uh, and this uh, passage uh, this morning. Olive trees are different than any other tree specifically for their longevity of life. Now, olive trees in the Bible, they were used in abundance and they were found in abundance in uh, the Mediterranean uh, area of the Mediterranean Sea and across the land of Palestine. Uh, the uh, land of olives or the Mount of Olives is mentioned in the Bible where Jesus went to pray uh, before the crucifixion. Olives produced an oil that were used in the golden candlesticks in the house of God or in the anointing of a king. The cherubim in the holy place were made of olive wood. The doors of the temple were made of olive wood. The post of the doors of the temple were made of olive wood. And if you study the life of a tree, you'll find that the life of a tree, just looking at them as a whole, 
is 30 to 100 years. And of course, there's a lot of different kind of trees. An oak tree can be 100 or 200 years old. But the average lifespan of an olive tree, guess in your mind. Don't say it out loud. Guess in your mind. How, how long do you think an olive tree can live? Think about it. Five to 600 years is the average lifespan and there are trees in the Holy Lands uh, where we speak of the Holy Lands. I'm not, I'm not talking about southeast Kentucky. I'm talking about the one in the Bible. And uh, I'm talking about in the scripture, uh, there are holy, in the Holy Lands, there are olive trees there that they say are more than 2,000 years old. In Greece, there is an olive tree that is still producing, and uh, they tell us that it is more than 5,000 years old. And so when he's talking about rearing children and rearing them to love God and rearing them to know God and rearing them to serve God, he is talking about when we rear children to serve God that it has a lasting effect not in just into the next generation but generations to come. So that children will be a blessing Olive branches are oftentimes painted or etched for decoration or olive branches or leaves used. I believe we may have one or two as a part of the plastic decorations that are around here. But the emphasis is, the emphasis is on rearing children to know God, to love God, and to serve God. When you look at this passage of Scripture... You find in verse number one, godly believers, a Jewish couple who fears the Lord and desires a home that God can bless. Notice what it says. Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord that walketh in his ways. It's one thing to love God. It's another thing to fear or respect God to the place that we walk in his ways. Now recall that God had given the nation of Israel a promise. Deuteronomy chapters 28, 29, and 30. He said, if you do these things, I'll bless you. If you do these things, curses will be on you. Your land will be devoured. If you do these things, I'll bless you. I'll bless you in abundance. If you do these things, all of the blessings that you have, they're going to be devoured. And, I, and it's not the message today. But I fear that America's disobedience is allowing the nations of the world to devour what we have. And so how do we turn that around? Reach another generation of children to know God, to love God, and to serve God with their lives. Second of all, in verse number two, we have successful workers. Anytime you have a family that walks in the ways of God, you'll always find them to be a working people. Honest, godly people, they work and they produce. Look at verse number two. For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands, Happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Verses 3 and 4, then, we have as a result of teaching children to know God, to love God, and to walk in his ways, we then have happy parents. Look at verse number 3. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house. Thy children like olive plants round about thy table. 
Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. And then in verse number 5, we have productive citizens. Hey, folks, this old book right here is the, answers, uh, is the answer to the ills of America. Just getting back to simple respect of God and getting back to work with our hands and learning to work and rearing children. To know God, to love God, and to serve God and to work with their hands makes a productive citizen. Look at verse number 5. The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion, and thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem all the days of thy life. Where does it begin? Parents wanting to know God, love God, serve God, rear their children to do the same and to be workers with their hands. And then notice in verse number 6, we have contented grandparents. We have contented, satisfied, happy grandparents. Verse number 6, Yea, thou shalt see thy children's children and peace upon Israel. I believe that the hope and work to see any society strengthened and to see any society to the place that God can bless it is to rear another generation to know God, to love God, and to serve God. Are you with me this morning? To teach children the word of God, to teach children to know God, to teach children to work with their hands, it is a work that is a process of time. We don't want to become lazy parents and let the television and the internet rear our children. We must invest time in the rearing of our children. It requires a commitment, not an occasional time, but a commitment of time. And it is a work that requires a commitment to teaching the Word of God. Boy, we like things so fast today. We like things so fast that we have to understand that you can't teach children quickly, but there must be a commitment to teach the principles and truths of the Word of God. Now look right this way. I want to get your attention again. Never has there been a time that Satan has fought so open and so strong to ruin the minds of a generation of children as he's fighting right now. Now you and I, we faced difficulty growing up. We did. My generation, you know what we got in trouble for in school? Chewing gum. Talking in class. Getting out of line. That's what we got in trouble for. We did not face what our children are facing today. And how sad it is to see the onslaught, to see the war that is being waged to get the mind of our children. They told us in the early 60s they began to use a myth called the separation of church and state saying that the state could not have any spiritual influence and when they brought that division they divided our nation and the devil has done a great job in conquering our nation by taking the influence of spirituality not only out of the home but out of the school. Two things missing in school today that were very prevalent in my day. Uh, there was a Bible on my teacher's desk. In fact, many of the teachers that taught Sunday school taught in school. And the second thing that was on their desk, and you can guess it, was a paddle. And, and man, I don't know about your teachers, but my teachers used it. 
And if I got a paddling at school, I got another one at home. Things have changed today. We've come to the place that fact, history, geography, that doesn't matter. What matters is our feelings and our opinions. And we put our children into a self-destructive mode. They took prayer out of schools. They took Bible reading out of schools. And they said we want to become neutral and just educate. But the truth is the devil was lying all the time. He had no intention of education. He had intention of indoctrination of his evil ways to go against now even the very basic building block of society and that is the home. And now there is an attack even on what gender a person is born, an attack against God. Now we could talk about the problem all day long, but I want to say this morning that you and I as a church need to commit and recommit our lives to reaching every child we can to teach them to know God, to love God, and to serve God. Are you with me this morning? I mean, we need every age person. I am thankful that I've had the privilege since a teenager to help reach children with the gospel of Christ. One of my first ministries was to work in a bus ministry. I visited every Saturday, worked to get children to ride a bus so we could teach them the Bible, teach them that God is a creator, teach them the Ten Commandments, teach them that God loves them, teach them that God made the world for them and there to love God and to serve God. I was ordained 37 years ago last Sunday. Last Sunday was my 37th anniversary as a preacher. I began my 38th year last Sunday. I've worked all of my ministry with an emphasis and with a focus on reaching young people. I write every two weeks an article in the Sword of the Lord helping to reach young people with the gospel and that's published in the Sword of the Lord. I have two books, one book on reaching children through the bus ministry, another how to be close to your children, and then another on the family balance in the Christian life. And I want to say today, we cannot give up the fight because the enemy is strong and the enemy is great. I want you to know that God is greater than the enemy and we can win and we can make a difference and we must give ourselves to reaching another generation of children through our church. I'm thankful today for every aging group of our church. And if you looked at a list of the ages of our church, you would find that the ages and groups in our church would be the same percentage as in our area, in our city, and in our region. We have the same percentage of folks that are over 90 or in their 80s or in their 70s. And I'm thankful that in every single group, beginning in our nursery, one of the reasons folks say to me often, they say, I appreciate you always ending on time, starting on time, finishing on time. Well, we have about 80 babies back there in the, in the, in the bed babies through three or four years old. And they tell me they're going to dismiss at 1130. I can dismiss whenever I want. I'm just kidding about that, but I do. I respect them. I respect your time. 
But it's important that we reach every age. I'm glad that they came to a Sunday school where a teacher held a Bible before them today. That used to be an everyday occurrence in our culture, but it isn't anymore. And I'm thankful that from the nursery into the one and two and three and four-year-olds in the kindergarten class and the graded Sunday school and in the high school all the way through, our purpose is to lift up Christ and the only answer for our, our culture that is being destroyed is to know God, to love God, and to serve God. I could tell the story I'm about to tell with many different examples, but I chose this one. I read the story of Barbara Hutton. Perhaps you remember her or you remember her name. She died in 1979, some years ago, May 21st, 1979. She was one of few that make the obituary column not in the newspaper but in Time magazine. Time magazine had for years an obituary column and because she was a celebrity, her obituary was listed in Time Magazine. She died at the age of 66. She became wealthy at the age of 12. At the age of 12, she inherited from her grandfather, F.W. Woolworth, $25 million. Now, that was, that was some uh, 70 years ago that she inherited $25 million. The media called her the poor little rich girl. Anybody ever hear the story of her Hutton and the poor little rich girl? Money didn't make her happy. Marriage did not make her happy. She was married seven times. She married a Laotian prince. She married a prince from Lithuania, one from Russia. She kept marrying princes. You would think she would try something different, but she kept marrying a prince. She married a Hollywood film star, Cary Grant. She was married to him for a while. Her life was plagued with sickness from kidney disease to eye disease. She died of a heart attack. The last few years of her life, she would not leave her room. She was a recluse. She weighed 80 pounds, and she became known as the poor little rich girl you see happiness is not found in money in marriage happiness is not found in experiences of life true happiness cannot be found outside of a relationship with God and the earlier we teach that and the younger we teach that, the better our children are so they don't have to experience and try everything that Solomon tried. We need to teach our children to know God, to love God, and to serve God. You see, everything in life, God made it to have a center that things revolve around. Our society is built on the home. And when the home is fractured, society is fractured. Doesn't matter what part of nature, what part of music, what part of science, whatever you study, you'll find there is a centrifugal force that hold things together. For example, in the world of nature, God, who is the author of creation, shows the importance of order and a proper center. 
If you explore the largeness of the world with telescopes, you'll find order everywhere. Our world belongs to a solar system which revolves around what? Revolves around the sun. The solar system is populated by the sun, planets, moons, asteroids, and comets. The solar system exists or is held together because it has a center. Without that center, it would disappear or dissipate. The sun itself is the center of the solar system, but the sun is not the center of everything. It too has a center. Our solar system is a part of the Milky Way. And when you look at no matter what part, ever how big it is or how small it is, it always has a centrifugal force, a center that everything revolves around. If we explore the world of infinitely small things, uh, for example, we discovered that the atom is a miniature solar system with electrons revolving around a nucleus made up of protons and neutrons. And you thought you didn't have to study on Sunday. You get a little uh, science lecture anyway. Uh, the electrons move at an inconceivable speed around the nucleus in a millionth of a second. Atoms themselves consist mostly of empty space. They're so small, an atom, that a million hydrogen atoms lined up side by side is about the width of a sheet of paper. But just as, is in the world, just as in the world of large things, so is the world of small things. And the Creator has written the same lesson in every part of life. There must be order and there must be a centrifugal force. Now listen to me. When all is said and done, the fact remains that God is the ultimate center of everything. And he must also be the center of our lives, the center of our marriage, the center of our schools, the center of our churches, the center of happiness. Everything revolves around God. Now through the years we've started many different ministries emphasizing doing something that helps our children. I want to speak of those and I want to say thank you to those that work in those ministries because if we don't get another generation of children, now there are children here this morning and some of them are in children's church and a little bit older. Uh, they're here this morning and they may not grasp everything I say, but one thing they do grasp, it's Sunday morning and I'm in church listening to the preacher waiting for 11.30 and lunch. But one memory they will have is a preacher that says, know God, love God, and serve God. And everything has to have a centrifugal force. You find any business, you have to have a business leader to hold it together. You find a family. And I've heard it said 10,000 times in counseling with families and going through funerals and heard it say, but mom was the center or dad was the center. He held it all together. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 1 that by him all things consist. And let's teach our children, dear friend, to know God and love God and serve God because our lives, if they're going to be lives of happiness and lives of production, they must revolve around God. Several statements and I'm watching the 
clock here as our young people are. First of all, we need to have personal examples as adults and parents and grandparents for our children. It does make a difference how you behave. It does make a difference how you walk. It does make a difference how you talk. Don't you be selfish and live life alone. You're an example for a child and you don't know who's watching you and you don't know what teenager is watching you. And you businessmen where a young man has a desire for business, they see you in church on Sunday morning and they're learning just by your life. If I put God first, that's the first step to success in life and the first step to success in ministry. I say to you today, you be an example of what a child ought to be in their lives I remember when my grandparents were no longer able to actually serve in church but just their presence of being in church was a blessing to me I said it in Sunday school when the day comes you're not able to be a part of a working ministry you're not able to be a part of things like you once were just you being in your place is important for children to see that parents and grandparents are still in church because you believe God is important and you came here today to give your worship and praise to a God of heaven. Second of all, let's keep our homes spiritual places. I'm not going to reteach the lesson that I taught this morning. You're rearing children. You ought to have a family altar. There ought to be a time, and I, I want to encourage you, and I'm not, I'm not taking this truth to hit you over the head with, but to say, look, there ought to be a time that children see their dad and their mom reading the Word of God at home. There ought to be a time that you come together and you pray together. You've heard it said, and I believe it's true, families that pray together, stay together, pray together, read the Word of God together, keep your family altar. You may say, we used to do that. Oh, dear friend, don't quit. Get back to a family altar. Get back to a time where you spend time around the Word of God and you spend time in prayer. Get back to the kitchen table. It would help America again if we learned to eat together again and not we're in such a rush that we didn't take time to spend time together. And that always begins after that good meal is there. I remember especially on Sunday I was hungry. I couldn't wait to get home. And that big meal was sitting there. But you couldn't move until the prayer was made. And I want to tell you something. With two brothers, you always used a fork when you reached into the food bowl to get something. Because it's dangerous to put you just a hand in there. You get stabbed with a fork. Let me say Sunday school is important. If you teach in a C Sunday school or a B Sunday school class, I want you to stand real quickly, stand real fast. If you teach a class either in B Sunday school, C Sunday school, any of our Sunday schools, if you teach in, in one of our Sunday schools, I want you to stand if you're a teacher. There are a few that are here today. May I say your work is important. You are teaching the word of God. You're teaching them to know God, to love God, and to serve God. Thank you for teaching our children in Sunday school. You may be seated. Thank you for teaching our Sunday school. Sunday school is important. By the way, Sunday school is not just for children, but it began as a tool teaching children the truths of the Word of God. I'm thankful for our youth department. 
I told Brother Davis, and I've told him many times through the years, your responsibility as a youth pastor is not to replace dad having fun. We're going to have fun. We're going to enjoy activities in life as a group of teens. But the first thing I want you to do is teach our children to love God and to serve God. Teach them to walk with God. I look forward to camp this summer. As you know, I travel and preach almost every week. This, this past week, I preached in Illinois Monday night and Tuesday night. I preached in Decatur Tuesday morning. I drove two hours up to Bourbonnais, and I preached in a pastor's conference. Then I drove back and preached in, a, a ch in the church in Decatur. Tomorrow night, I'll preach in North Carolina, Salisbury, North Carolina. The following week, I'll preach in Maryland. I preach somewhere almost every Monday and Tuesday night. When Brother Smith resigned or retired as our youth, as our camp director, being camp director and spending time with our children is something I've always wanted to do. So I canceled all of my summer meetings, and I said to my wife, I'd like to spend the summer I'd like for us to spend the summer with our teenagers and with our young people. And as I look at the end of my ministry, and I don't get too excited, I'm not talking about next Sunday. <laughs> Laura, can I tell them what you told us this week? Laura said, Dad, you're, just in, you're in your prime of old age. And, and, and when she said, you're in your prime, I got excited. And then she said, of old age. But at least I'm in the prime of something. <laughs> I mean this. I want, I want my life to be invested in reaching another generation of children to know God, to love God, and serve God. Thy children as olive plants. Stand with me. I've got to stop preaching. Thank you, public school teacher, for teaching and standing firm on the truths that our nation was founded on. Thank you to everyone that works and helps young people from the nursery to the college age. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. May the Lord help us to continue to reach children. Last Sunday, over 1,700 children came to church on buses last week, 1,700 last week. I'm not kidding about reaching children. If you're here today and you do not know Christ as Savior, whether you're a child, teenager, or an adult, you may say, Preacher, I've never received Christ, and I know I need to be saved. I don't want to face death like this. I don't want to face life like this. Heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Would you raise your hand and say, Preacher, pray for me. I need to trust Christ as Savior. I've never done that. Would you raise your hand so I could pray for you this morning? Is there anyone like that at all? Heavenly Father, bless our invitation and help us to be committed, to be recommitted to reach a generation of young people, to know God, to love God, and to serve God. Thank you for our Christian school teachers. Thank you, Lord, for our homeschool parents that love their children. If there's hope for our nation, it's our children. 
knowing God, loving God, and serving God. Bless your invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. He's going to sing the invitation song. The altar is open from side to side. As he sings, I invite you to come. Use the altar and pray. Parents, don't give up on your children. Grandparents, don't give up on your grandchildren. Keep loving them. Keep encouraging them. Keep challenging them to know God, to love God, and to serve God. I want our children to be a part of all that we do. Everything that we do. I want them to learn to serve, learn to give, learn to love, learn to sing. And I'm thankful for their faithfulness to God. It's not an easy thing for young people to serve God in this day. By the way, every child or teen or young person that fails and falls, pick them up. Don't step on them. Pick them up. Help, help them up. Cry with them. Pray with them. Help them. All of us have had failures and faults, and we've all fallen. Somebody helped to pick us up. Love our children. They live in a society like no other before. The devil is after them. We can't let the devil have our children.